the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, to uh, part two, the second half of our weekly roundtable armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our uh, Roundtable regulars, our panel of uh, political pundits includes on the left, Flint's uh, premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, and always good to have Mark Everson. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I want to mention, last but not least, uh, joining the roundtable this week, former high-ranking government official in two presidential administrations, Mark Everson, is joining us as well. Mark, are you back with us? Yes, I am. All right, excellent. Um, As we uh, move into the part that I uh, think is going to be of interest, and Mark and I talked about this uh, briefly, very briefly, yesterday, A bipartisan group of 55 senators is urging President Joe Biden to quickly evacuate Afghan special immigrant visa applicants and their families and fully implement changes to the program signed into law in late July. American inaction would ensure they become refugees or prime targets for Taliban retribution, they wrote. The Biden administration pledged to assist the Afghans who worked for and on behalf of the U.S. government and military during its two-decade military campaign in Afghanistan, but has come under sharp scrutiny by lawmakers and advocates for not acting more quickly to relocate these uh, Afghans and their, or to relocate these Afghans and their families. 
The Taliban's rapid takeover of the country has made relocation efforts fraught and dangerous. U.S. troops and diplomats based at Kabul airport are scrambling to get U.S. citizens and Afghans at risk of Taliban reprisal onto flights out of the country. What could President Biden have done differently, and what might Trump have done differently with this retreat that he originally announced? Hmm. Well, I don't know. Go ahead. Hello? Hello. Go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say, I I was wondering, at the very least, I would think that that deadline, that, that August 31st deadline, uh, ought to be ought to be extended in some way. It just looks like we're not going to get everybody out by that time. And I, I was somewhat surprised to hear, at least as things stand at the moment, that they're going to stick with that deadline. And I, uh, I'm concerned about how how many are going to be left behind if that stands. But the Taliban says it doesn't matter what uh, the Americans or Biden think about the um, <clears throat> the 31st of August. They are going to make that the end date. If they don't have them out, uh, the people who are left behind will suffer consequences. Yeah, when I heard that this morning, my only thought was maybe that was a negotiating point to kind of make sure there's, there's avoid some military conflict before the 31st. But as I say, I was quite surprised to hear that because I, uh, it would seem like we got the military power to, at the very least, to extend that deadline by, I don't know, a week or two or even more than that if necessary to get everybody out, both the Americans and those who have uh, worked with the Americans. But this is a very grave situation at the moment. Oh, yeah. you got the Russians and the Chinese combining and putting uh, ships into that area and threatening Americans' interests there. And it, there's just so many things uncertain, and it's difficult to except for those people who know what's going on more than I do, uh, to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned. Sure. And Mark, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, you, you're probably a little more informed than the rest of us. Well, I, as Tom, you know, um, I served six years in the Reagan administration in my last assignment there, last uh, several years were uh, at the INS, Immigration Naturalization Service, which was part of the Justice Department at that time. And we oversaw all the refugee operations around the world. And I actually visited these camps. I visited uh, 1987 uh, Afghan refugee camps in uh, outside of Peshawar in Pac- Pakistan up by the Khyber Pass. And uh, I have a daughter, a foster daughter, who's a Cambodian refugee from actually, it's a long story, don't need to get into it from that trip, but um, this is a great humanitarian disaster. Leave, aside, leave apart the, the, um, the foreign policy implications that uh, you can talk about. I, I, I disagree with the president's decision, and I disagree with Donald Trump's decision to get out. I, I would have preferred us to keep 2,500, 5,000 troops mm-hmm. there just to just to be a, as a check, a continuing check on uh, terrorist activities in that part of the world. But I can respect the president's decision. That's fine. He's, that's what he's there to do is to make these decisions. But I think it's incomprehensible that uh, that we've executed it as poorly as we as we have. And 
they just seem to ignore the fact that this could go south. The president in July was saying, well, there's no likelihood, uh, limited likelihood that there'll be any Taliban takeover and there's no way that people will be, will have another Vietnam evacuation. There was a column this morning, I think it was Kathleen Parker, talked about we changed commanding generals in Afghanistan last month. We changed commanding generals. How could... How could you do that in the, when you're about to execute, you're in the midst of executing withdrawal by, by September 11th. Uh, the whole thing just stinks. And, and what, what I am shocked by is the number of uh, pundits and others who've said, yeah, well, it's been poorly executed, but it's still a good decision. In government, good policies are only good policies if they're executed properly. And, and we're, we may get most of the Americans out, but we're not going to get the hundreds of thousands of people out who are at real risk because they played ball in new Afghanistan, if you will, and they're going to be under tremendous risk. Right. I can't yeah. help thinking, Mark, you know, as, as I watch these events unfold, that it seems, in, and there's an article uh, on uh, CNN uh, on their website about the, um, uh, alluding to the fact that four presidents led us to where we are now. So we're not, we're not going to pick on any one president in particular. But it doesn't it speak to the fact that there was never any real clear mission and that military presence in Afghanistan amounted to um, basically putting their finger in the dike and they just pulled the finger out? Well, I, I agree with that in, in large part because I think what happened was we went in there because we'd been attacked and, and you had the Taliban supporting al-Qaeda essence and helping all that to happen. But then what happened was, uh, look, I was still in the White House staff before I went over to the IRS. I went over to the IRS in 2003, but there was pride and justifiable pride in the work that was being done in opening up schools for uh, girls and starting a university and all kinds of things. And I think that the uh, actions that we took made uh, made us proud that we were helping certain populations there, and that carried us past that one mission, which was totally legitimate. And another column I read this week, Tom, was, I thought very insightful. It sort of said, the Democrats decided that Iraq was the bad war, but that Afghanistan was the good war. So to a certain degree, you had a political uh, uh, deal that was cut or carried through, as you say, through through four presidencies, it got us to where we are, and Biden's right to deal with it, but, uh, uh, but but not in this manner. Yeah, we're getting that echo back, um, and and I'm just wondering if it might not be a good standard practice to uh, mute phones when you're not speaking. Okay, I'm I'm just sitting someplace now. I should be all right, but anyway. Um, I'm not sure where the where the echo is coming from, but we had a real I'm tough time right last now. week. Yeah, I, I was hearing the echo as well. I was going to add. I was going to add to Mark's comments. If, if there's any sli- any positive sliver of hope, is that I think Afghans Afghanistan is a different country today to some degree than it was 20 years ago. Women have been more educated. There's a younger population who may not be quite so accepting of some of those ideas. So it's a slim sliver, but maybe there's a little bit of hope that uh, 
the existing population of Afghanistan isn't what isn't is very different today than it was 20 years ago. And well, they, I, I I like to think that's correct, but we've been saying the same thing about Iran for decades. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, and I I keep wondering why there aren't more comparisons made to the um, what Russian withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yeah. I mean, I understand it was it was somewhat more orderly and and maybe a little better planned, but the end result was very much the same. That's right. Uh, my problem with the whole idea of what's going on in Afghanistan is that they have three distinct entities, all are equally power with each other, and they have no common denominator between them. The Sunnis, the... Um, um, Shia? Yeah. yeah. They have all of those different groups that are organized uh, as uh, authoritative groups with their eyes set on ruling Afghanistan. And uh, until you bring all of those people together, like uh, I can only think of how we brought the people together in this country from what I've read <clears throat> to make it what it is. They don't, or how England and France and Scotland were put together. They, you had to first go out and develop a, a, a plan to have a common denominator for people who wanted to see a central, a strong central government, as we did in this country. But I don't think that that yet exists in Afghanistan, because there are people who, like the the Sunnis and others who just completely disrespect the order of the legitimate government. And that's going to go on until one or the other is destroyed. Well, I think it's largely tribal, and uh, just the yeah. effort to make a central government is, is uh, very difficult to begin with, which runs back to Tom's point about where, uh, you know, what was our objective here? Was our objective just to... Um, maintain a status quo once we'd reduce a terrorist threat, uh, or was it to do more and create a central democratic government? And uh, that second objective, if that was what we're really trying to do, one could yeah. argue just looking at British history and the Russians and everything else, <laughs> that it, was, that it, was, it was a long shot at best. Yeah, I, I've heard that again, described as a, tri a tribal society too, where, where the tribes never, never did accept any central government. And so trying to create one from the outside like we did, or the Russians did, never did work. And how necessary in that, in that country is having a central government? Does the presence of uh, Great Britain or the Soviets or the U.S., does that just muddy up a system that works for them? Or does something need to be done for humanitarian reasons? Well, in some odd way, it may bring together the tribes because they can now oppose the U.S. or the Russians or the, or the British. You know, it's easy to oppose somebody on the outside, at least temporarily, uh, because they're the outsiders, and as soon as they're gone, the tribes will break down again. 
We had the same situation in Henry, Ireland. Henry, I'm, I'm going to yes. pause you there for a moment because we have to go to break. And I, I thought I was going to make it through the whole show without cutting you <laughs> off, Henry. I'm so, oh, that's right. <laughs> I apologize. But, uh, but we'll pick up this conversation when we come back. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So stay tuned. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, 
File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation uh, on uh, armchair politics here on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. Welcome back, everybody. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. And we were talking about the um, situation going on in uh, Afghanistan and, and what, what might have been done differently. Or maybe the more important question is, is what to, to do going forward. And, and Paul brought up um, Great Britain's presence in Afghanistan. And, and we talked briefly about uh, the Soviets' presence in Afghanistan and now the U.S. withdrawing from Afghanistan. Is there a fundamental flaw in our believing that that countries are not okay unless they do things like we do them? I don't think all Americans feel that way now. Maybe well, I think we're learning that nation building is is, is a tough process. We, it's, it's easy yeah. to talk about making somebody a democracy like we are, but uh, nation building can be be tough and can, it can be resented by those you're trying whose nation you're trying to build. Sure. I think Americans made their decision on this and that they said that they wanted out of Afghanistan, even though we weren't really losing a large number of lives any any longer. That said, they also are appalled by this because yeah. they believe that we we owe it to those people who worked with us and supported us and, and have risked their own uh, lives, if you will, by by taking stands and, and 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 really embracing many of the things we stood for, so I think they differentiate the two those two points. Uh, I think they say no, we we don't have to go in and try and make everybody else like us, but we did some things here and we gotta we gotta, gotta take care of the people who are with us. No, I agree entirely. I think we owe, we owe a debt to those individuals who did who took some real risks on our, on our part. Yeah, and, and uh, there's all of those cultural differences impede our efforts to uh, try to achieve the objectives that we had initially, going in, trying to make uh, them a democracy and stuff like that. And, you know, I just want to compare and contrast uh, for a moment other countries who've gone through the same thing. And I'd like to re- recall Ireland. Ireland in the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, they had severe problems, divided over territorial differences, they had philosophical and cultural differences that overflowed into economics and political differences. But when the president, uh, Reagan, went and said, Mr. Kupershaw, tear these walls down. And Germany flowed together just like two bodies of water. Uh, but in Afghanistan, you don't see that likelihood of them flowing, even if we moved out of there. Uh, and and also in... in uh, in Ireland, uh, we don't hear of the killings and the um, and the 
discontent of Northern Ireland with with Southern Ireland that is, for the moment, quiet, and the country has slowed back together. But this is the kind of mindset that you got to have in Afghanistan, and and we got to cultivate or try to drive that cultivation of that kind of mindset because it works. What well, do you think of the uh, some of the pundits that have have suggested or hinted that? somehow uh, as we go forward that we might be dealing with a kinder gentler Taliban mm, skeptical I'm skeptical yeah I mean, <laughs> we'll see I wouldn't I wouldn't bet too much on it but we'll see uh, who knows we'll know we'll know in six days yeah well the point here is it's one of their own ability to execute them I mean, because they're they're more like a series of militias and and that, that may be the desire of some people at the top. I don't think it's going to be the desire of, uh, I don't think they'll be able to pull it off. Yeah, not without a, a some kind of a, a political will of people to concede some of their powers to a central government. And what about the impact of China? Now, China is, is recognizing the Taliban in a way that the U.S. is reluctant to. Um, how badly does the Taliban want to be recognized and legitimized by the rest of the world? I think very badly they want to. If they're going to govern the country as a whole, if they're going to really, instead of just being simply an ideological army or, or ideological group and if that's their real goal yeah they've got to be but and they need to be involved in there need to be flow of funds i mean their their concern right now is that if everybody who's been doing a uh, job in a company or in local go, go back to your i mean go back to your question earlier about financial people in, in municipal governments if everybody in afghanistan at all levels uh, uh, vacates the country it's going to be very tough to operate anything so they've got a lot of issues that they're they're trying to grapple with uh just to be able to to move forward but i do think that the west is going to take a wait and see attitude on do what do they do a week from now are they are there going to be stories about people uh being executed or women being you know basically forced back to stay in their homes, it's going to, we'll, we'll know, it won't be, take that long. But one point I'd like to make on this is, uh, the, it's about the evolution of refugees and our attitudes towards refugees. You know, the refugee conventions were all established after World War II. It was based on what, what had first happened about people leaving Germany under the Nazis and everything else. And, the, and then you had the communists, people, people leaving when the, when the communists... And then, of course, you had a Southeast Asia where we took hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people out. Uh, you, you've got, you know, more recently the Syrians, all these things. Uh, these are continuing issues that the world struggles with. And Europe has struggled uh, greatly with people from Africa and from Syria coming in. And lots of, lots of contention here. But I hope we get this right. And uh, the Afghan refugee resettlement is going to be a big, big task that will continue for years. 
Well, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens going forward, and, and I'm sure we'll be watching it very closely, as you suggest, Mark, and, and having sort of a, a wait-and-see attitude. But the Taliban was pretty much... Um, pretty much in charge at the time of September 11th in Afghanistan and then after the US came in 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 the wake of of uh, September 11th 2001 um, are, are we going to end up just going back in time do you think well, I think that's 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 right. Uh, the Taliban now controls more of Afghanistan than it did 20 years ago. And uh, Michael Gerson, who was uh, George W.'s speechwriter, wrote something a couple of days ago saying, ironically, it, or almost inconceivably, you now have uh, September 11th is going to be celebrated as the day that the Taliban took over, and it's going to it's, and you know, the day that they they vanquished the Americans. It's, we've handed them a great, a great uh, oh uh, milestone. They, they won. Yeah, it's going to be a very strange celebration, most likely on that day. Well, yeah, because it'll be the 20th anniversary of uh, yeah the the uh, attack on the twin towers it's not a day it will be maybe it'll be a day of mourning over here but over there it'll be it's a the victory has been gained well let's let's move on to a couple other things um as the number of new coronavirus cases in his state soars florida governor ron DeSantis is betting that an aggressive campaign against mandatory mask wearing in schools will harden the Republican base ahead of his, his expected re-election bid next year and make him a GOP star nationwide as the president's uh, 2024 presidential primary comes into view. The gamble appears to be paying off for now. DeSantis is uh, a Fox News darling and relishes the uh, intensifying uh, backlash from Democrats especially President Joe Biden, who has criticized the governor and other Republican state executives for rejecting recommendations from public health experts and officials. But national attention does not always translate into political gain at home and could potentially seed new complications for DeSantis by the time Floridians go to the polls next year to cast their verdict on his first term. For now, the Delta variant surge in Florida is a wild card for the governor who has refused to ramp up mitigation efforts even as the pandemic threatens the state's tourism industry and with schools opening the safety of young students, their families, educators, and other staff inside the buildings. Is DeSantis building a ramp or digging a hole for his political future? Hmm. I don't know. My my thought is that it's, given Florida's outbreaks, Australia looks pretty grim, and it's, it may sell well to to some part of the Republican base, but I'm not sure how well it's going to look a year from now. Well, you guys, that's too early to tell. Uh, we have to have a national resolve on at least one issue, and right now that issue is COVID, and um, here domestically. Mm -hmm. But then we have to have a national resolve on what we do in Afghanistan. So we are far apart. We're just 
Yeah, I was just thinking as you were saying that, Henry, do we have national resolve on anything? On what? On anything. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, pick, I don't know, pick, but, pick a subject. But you, pick ask, an, uh, you ask if DeSantis <laughs> has moved to the top of the hill, and he's not sure when. <laughs> no, because <laughs> we don't know what the national resolve is. We don't know what directions to move in. Tom's right. We'd have a hard time getting agreement on Mother's Day or <laughs> Girl Scout Cookie Day. Or well, <laughs> I do want but, to say, but, I mean, I, I haven't been on for a, a couple of weeks, but uh, the infrastructure legislation going through the Senate was a significant yeah. point. And, um, yes, it was. And I, it remains to be seen now, we haven't touched on this, but how badly is Biden uh, weakened, if at all? Um, domestically because of, of, of the Afghanistan situation? Or does, do they now cut a deal on, on the Biden budget, you know, the $3.5 trillion. I don't think he's going to get that. But if, if there may be more room to compromise on some of these things than, than people think. So I, I'm, I'm not totally negative, uh, especially given what happened on the infrastructure bill. Well, I, I, I think... Um there is a, a, a senator who says that uh, Pelosi does not have the votes to, um, uh, to force Republicans to vote for the $3.2 million, uh, $2 billion, a trillion dollars. And, and uh, so uh, the Republicans, uh, plurality of the Republicans within the Senate, will vote for the lesser bill of $1.2 billion for improved infrastructure, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's stripped out all the yeah. tax increases. And so, but the tax increases, which are going to be very controversial, you're not going to get all the Democrats to go along with the, all the tax increases that are in the, the Biden budget proposal. So, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of uh, compromise if they're going to be able to get anything at all on the bigger package. But uh, it seems like Pelosi sort of recognized reality, and she promised that the infrastructure bill uh, will be voted on by September 27th. And I, you know, I, yes, I agree that we're not where we want to be as a country. But if they do the infrastructure bill, um, that'll be an interesting point, and we'll know that in six weeks by the end of September. Yeah. Yes. And and you're right, Mark. We're moving closer to uh, the center platform than we were uh, several months back. And I, I rated this, and and I've uh, cited people for having the ability to compromise. Sometimes. Uh, Go ahead, Henry. Yeah, to compromise and moving legislation. And and so uh, here after this Afghanistan. Fiasco. I, I kind of lost track of where we're going there because it's it's such a an explosive uh, issue on the table before us, and we don't know what's going to happen. Will will we have a will this usher in a third world war? We don't know. We don't know what the Russians are thinking, and we don't know what the Chinese are thinking. And we uh, Americans uh, are we don't want Americans to miss make missteps 
Do you think there's a kind of a sense of exhaustion about this divisiveness we've seen for so long, or maybe a little bit on both sides, that people are just kind of worn out from the endless partisan bickering, and, and the exhaustion itself may lead to some compromise? Well, this is an interesting point, because uh, the Republicans ended up getting 19 Republican senators to vote for that package, if I recall. One of them was Roger Wicker down here in Mississippi. He's a very important Republican senator, but Mississippi's as conservative as you get, and the fact that Wicker voted for the package, that's a significant indication that, yes, maybe there is some exhaustion, and that the Republicans will work with the Democrats on certain issues. Yes. And that's great to be known, to be heard by someone who understands the issues and who've been inside and who looks for hope for the future of our country and sustained um, presence. Let me, where, let me respond to what Henry just said, though, uh, about Afghanistan. I do agree, agree this is a very serious point because in this uh, moment, some idiot uh, in North Korea or some other place could say the Americans are weakened and now and now's the time to act and if if you act then th- th- if they unwisely act we could we could say oh we're not going to get away with that and that is exactly how you descend into a real terrible conflict very quickly a lot of miscalculations well, I, I don't have all the details, but I, I did see where uh, Michigan congressman from the west side of the state, Peter Meyer, Republican, and another congressman went over to Afghanistan. Um, and, and I, I don't saw have, that story, yeah. I don't have any notes on it. Do you, do you know any of the details about all I got out of it was that there were... Oh, 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 I saw. I saw a story this morning. All I saw was that there was kind of a kind of a backlash because it was going to take so many other resources to protect the congressman as they visited the place, resources that ought to be used to help get people out. So there was a, he faced a little backlash because he, he, was, he was going to be taking up some resources for that. that that's, that's about it as far as I know. Any sense for what he hopes to accomplish? In concert with other people who needed to know and he needed to work with, one person or two people by themselves cannot change uh, the kind of uh, momentum that this issue has. You know, the, the parallel was that sometimes you see when, when the president visits a hurricane-torn area or tornado-devastated area, there's, there's a little resistance because you need local police to deal with the emergency rather than to, to shepherd a president around. Even though it's nice to have the visit, it does, does raise some serious questions. Well, let me see if I can squeeze one more thing in before we, uh, before we run up to the next break. Like many parents, Paul Martino never paid his school board much attention before the coronavirus pandemic. But last summer, when his kids' district in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, suddenly reversed course and went virtual, Martino decided it was time to get involved. The venture capitalist gave $10,000 to a political action committee supporting school board candidates across Pennsylvania who would keep schools open even amid a fall COVID surge. 
Of the 94 candidates the group supported, 92 won their primaries last spring. Now Martino's upped his pledge to $500,000, a huge amount for typically low-dollar, low-profile local races. School board members, usually elected and unpaid, have been thrust to the forefront of COVID politics, becoming targets of frustrated parents in places like Williamson County in Tennessee, where a heated argument over masks spilled into the parking lot uh, this week. And... uh, Luden County in Virginia, where one man was arrested at a board meeting on equity uh, earlier this year. Last week, we talked about the rising profile of uh, Secretary of State campaigns. Are school board seats becoming coveted positions? They're becoming contentious positions, to say the least. I would hope that school boards would stay out of the politics of that, that kind, because they are closest to the people, and they need to. And they're officially nonpartisan. Yeah, and they're officially nonpartisan. Yeah. But but you see you've seen that not not only on the mask issue, but here here in Genesee County, there's a apparently a QAnon supporter on the Grand Blank School Board that's gotten raised a number of issues and actually made Time Magazine in one of their articles a couple a month or two ago. Um, so, yeah, those, well, and Matthew Smith that we attention. Matthew Smith that we talked about earlier exactly. as a school board member. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, don't know. It's, I see both sides of this. It's yes, it's contentious, but I think one of the things that's happened through the virus is political entities or governmental entities is a better term at all levels are, are grappling with tough issues, and I think that that's that's a good thing that that they're not necessarily following. Uh, lockstep, like their Democrats say or the Republicans say at the national level, they're they're trying to make their best decisions, and it's they're different in Genesee County than they are down in Jackson County and Mississippi, and that's fine. I'm fine with that. Yes, I have no problem with that either. But I just I just hope they don't uh, make it so make it political. Well, it's it's you know, interesting I, to me at least, to see um, elected uh, positions that typically people didn't even know existed. You know, Secretary of State, except for getting your driver's license renewed, you know, that was never really... Right. It didn't get a lot of attention. And school boards, you know, people know that there is one, but they don't know where they come from. (laughs) They they and thought they just they they rarely they rarely attend meetings they don't pay attention but now with some of these things the critical race theory the mask issue Ooh, uh, they, those, those are going to be critical those really. both things have become hot button issues yeah and you know uh, school boards have uh, taken on loads of things that that distract teaching kids education the STEMs uh, because they have to deal with school safety school health, uh, protection of all kinds. Well, as, as you, as you know, Henry, the, the gun issue in Clio is yeah. a big, big issue for you. That's right. Yeah. We, we just got to, there's some place that has to be held harmless for, for young people who are just growing up and searching for what the world is about and not being embedded in a, uh, a, a uh, ring of fire. You know, I, 
I have, I'm concerned about that. That's the only place that I would like to see school system remain untouched by the ugly politics of reality. But, but to Tom, to your point, there, there's a broader question of why is everything elected? And uh, down here, uh, we joke in the family about they, they elect the coroner. And uh, <laughs> Oliver has a, Oliver has an older brother who was a high school kid and uh, he's not my son he's a half brother of Oliver's but he uh, his name is Quincy and I, we, we joked in the last election we were going to have Quincy run for corner Quincy for corner he had his slogans dead not dead oops we got to pause hey, I'm sorry we got to pause we'll be right back and guess what you're listening to the Tom Sumner show right now and now and now too and even now our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19 when a vaccine becomes available it's critical that all of us get it What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods 
and in the diverse city beyond, where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner program. I put a, a hold on uh, the X-Files for just a moment because I wanted to pick up on something where we left off. Uh, Mark uh, Everson was talking about um, Quincy for coroner. And I, I want to make sure I get my request in if there's ever a Quincy for Coroner campaign for a button or a bumper sticker. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I think if, if that campaign is run, you'll get plenty of material for your X-Files segment. <laughs> and, and I also want to take a minute... Um, while while I have everyone's attention to let Paul and Henry know that we're not live next week. It's a repeat, so we'll be back live on the 8th. We're oh, okay. going to play a repeat next Wednesday, uh, which is September 1st, um, and it's one from mid-June, I think, with uh, Bobby Clayton Walton joining the roundtable. Anyway, I always like to end armchair politics with those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. And this is a fun one. Um, the, the Walt Disney Company is in the process of uh, developing hyper-realistic, free-roaming robot versions of beloved characters to populate the grounds of its parks. Labing, <coughs> labeling them sentient may be jumping the gun a little bit as the idea of robot sentience is to put it mildly complicated, but the creations are stated to have cameras and sensors that let them make on-the-fly choices about what to do and say, according to the New York Times, which described an existing three-foot-tall robotic Groot that can respond to a person's actions and demeanor. But while Disney executives see the bots as a way to intrigue younger generations and stay relevant, some people were more apt to see them as abjectly terrifying. 
On Twitter, a lot of jokes were made about Westworld, the HBO series based on the 1973 Michael Crichton movie about a Wild West theme park filled with androids that are impossible to distinguish from human beings. Without delving into uh, too many spoilers, it turns out that that park wasn't a great idea. Some also referenced the Simpsons episode, Itchy and Scratchy Land, which involves a robot uprising at a theme park. That episode was also partially based on Crichton's Westworld. Are robots taking over the world, starting with Disney World? <laughs> a strange place to start, but who knows, yeah. It's closer than we think. Yeah, yeah. Well, an Australian TV viewers got a brief glimpse into a hellish ritual this week when a news broadcast suddenly cut to a satanic ceremony. The network was doing a segment on police dogs with the usual video footage of uh, various bureaucrats. Toward the end, however, the segment cut to two seconds of footage of a ritual that involved the words Hail Satan, as posted online by ABC's Media Watch. Broadcaster Yvonne Young managed to keep a uh, straight face after emerging from the video mix-up. After a brief pause, she moved right on to the next story. It's not clear how Satan got spliced into the footage. Is this in any way covered by equal time rules? <laughs> yeah, I think it probably should be somewhere along the way. <laughs> um, well, actually, why didn't you mention that, Tom? Wasn't that the case... When uh, on the, the, the Capitol in Lansing, somewhere around Christmas time, they had a number of religious displays, Christian religious displays, and uh, didn't some Satan church demand equal time and put up a satanic uh, display of some kind somewhere in the Capitol grounds? No, the thing that made that, well, you're right, there was a, an issue, and what made it so interesting was there weren't a lot of you know, Christmas displays, um, but uh, a some kind of uh, satanic group put up a big display on, on public grounds under the auspices that, you know, Christmas decorations had been part of, uh, right, you right. know, December at the Capitol forever, and it was somebody from, uh, it, it was, uh, oh, what's his name, um, Wayne Bronner from Bronner's in Frankenmuth that actually rented equipment to a group that wanted, because they tried to have the display removed, and they challenged it in court, and the court ruled that they had the right to be there. And so they actually had a bigger presence. In fact, I had Wayne Bronner on the show about it. Um, this is this is going back a few years, Paul. It's about ten years, maybe. And what he had done, there was a group in uh, in Lansing. They couldn't afford the stuff, so he loaned them the displays they needed to set up, you know, an equal time or equal space in this case mm. uh, display. It was really quite an interesting... Uh, yeah, no, I didn't know about the broader connection. That's interesting. Anyway, um, that kind of wraps it up for uh, today's edition of uh, 
the X-Files and uh, armchair politics, but do you have any uh, any final thoughts? So one that I want to actually bring up and ask Paul about, because I had not heard this yet, um, and uh, Mark and Henry, uh, as you may know, uh, every every Tuesday I get an email from Paul with some bullet points and things we might talk about, and usually we're kind of on the same page. But there were two that I hadn't seen yet that I thought um, were interesting and I'm going to look more into. Um, one was uh, Flint naming a street after uh, uh, Olympic gold medal boxer uh, Clarissa Shields from Flint. And um, the, uh, the other was uh, about the possibility of uh, Maurice Davis running for mayor next year. Now, Maurice yeah, was yeah, a well, city councilman well, who didn't Clark, make Clark, it Clark, to Field, Apparently, it's a street up by the Burston Field House. I, I've not seen it yet, but I saw the story. That that's where she used to train a lot. So there's a street named after her up at uh, the north end of Flint. And Maurice Davis, who lost, who's the only incumbent to lose a primary for the city council, uh, and uh, emerges as a, as a Trump supporter, has apparently announced he's going to run for mayor next year against uh, Sheldon Neely and anybody else who's running, I gather. Well, I have to reach out to Maurice. I, I had not heard that, and uh, it would be... Um It'll be interesting to see what his uh, rationale is. Yeah, if he's really serious about it, it'll be worth watching. You know, interestingly, uh, you know, go ahead. I don't have a real tie to Flint, but I'd love to have a street up there named after me. So if they're looking for streets. <laughs> you know, my my favorite street name in Flint, and, and you almost have to draw a map to explain how this occurred, but there was. Um, a, a place in Paul, it's over by the White Horse, so you can put it in some perspective, where 5th Street used to run straight through. Court Street, they they built that curve that comes around yeah. by the White Horse and right. connects to 5th yeah. Street. That left behind the fence, and, and right behind there, um, heading, what would it be, uh, west, there is a street that's about two blocks long, and the street sign, I don't know if it still does, but it did some years ago when they did the when they made the change, said formerly Fifth Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah, yeah, that, that was the name that. of the street. I love that. Formerly Fifth Street. <laughs> yeah. Any, well, there's a, aren't there a couple of highways around here called, you know, the old highway... 27 or something like that every now and then you'll see a sign to that effect too so yeah. that's true yeah. well we're gonna have to I just, end it there but I go just, ahead henry i just wanted to say um i appreciate mark everson uh he is so even tempered uh, that most uh, critics <laughs> even the critics will take time to listen to him and to consider his ideas and we don't have that kind of person who formerly served in government or public policy to take those uh, kind of uh, take on that kind of uh, aura and that's what we need more of in this time of uh, uh, in our history I, I always well, feel a little better after I talk to Mark like like maybe things are more <laughs> manageable than they seem yeah, 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 I think I, I, you're delusional. All of I you sure <laughs> Well, Mark Everson, I'm serious. Thank you so <laughs> much for being part. Every year, one person. <laughs> all right, thank you. 
And uh, thank you. Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, uh, thank you so much. And uh, be back in touch in two weeks. Uh, and for the listeners, um, for them, it'll seem like we're back next week. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you both. All right. Good Bye-bye. evening, everybody. Take care. Bye. And that's uh, Smoking George. Let me know it's time to head out, but I'll be back tomorrow. Good night, everybody. Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.